Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning, we're going to read from Isaiah 11 together. It is uh, an audacious promise that is sung into the darkness. So I'm going to read that for us. I'll read Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along as I read. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. We ask, Father, uh, as we have already sung and and prayed and said this morning that you would Use this word uh, that we have just read and heard together to shine light onto us and into our hearts. That you would use this word uh, to go into the dark places, the places we know about and that we don't know about, the places we don't want anyone else to find out about. Father, that you would, in this word, meet all of us in whatever place we find ourselves. Show us the grace of Jesus again and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, about uh, six years after Allison and I got married, uh, we were ready to move to a new apartment. Uh, So we were sorting things and uh, packing things together. And of course, you know that uh, moving is a great time uh, to also get rid of the stuff that you haven't used since the last time uh, that you moved. And so we were doing that too. We were setting aside things to take either to the thrift store or to uh, haul out and just leave in the back alley like you do. And uh, Allison made this big pile of clothes and other things that she was pretty sure um, that we could send to the thrift store. Uh, And she wanted me to look through it and make sure that we didn't need any of that stuff. So I like to imagine uh, that Allison and I are both equally ruthless about that kind of thing, that we don't really hang on to a lot of stuff that we uh, don't need. And so that's why I thought that she must have been joking around, that she must have been kidding when in that big pile of clothes, I came across my Joshua Tree Tour t-shirt from 1987, (laughs) RFK Stadium. 
you know, you too, in case you don't know for some crazy reason what I'm talking about. So I saw that shirt and I thought, okay, that's very funny, babe. I guess you don't think I need my Joshua Tree shirt. And you can maybe see where this is going. There was no joke in Allison's eyes at all. And she looked at me holding up that t-shirt, which at this point was paper thin (laughs) and barely holding together at the seams. And she told me that she had literally never seen me wear it. And furthermore, if by some miracle I was able to get it onto my body, it would fall apart within seconds. And all I could do in that moment, all I could do in that moment was protest and say, babe, there is still life in this thing. (laughs) There is still a lot of life in this thing. And church, I don't mind telling you, I still have that (laughs) t-shirt. There is still life in this thing. There's still life. That is the audacious promise that God makes to his people in that passage that we just read together. There is still life here. And the image is as stark as it is beautiful. There's just this burned out stump on the ground. It's still smoldering, still smoking from being burned down. It's one of hundreds in a field of dead, fallen trees and burned out smoking stumps, which all together represent the complete destruction at the hands of an invading army. And in the middle of that devastation, God draws the eyes of his people to one of those, just this little burned out smoking stump in the middle of all of the devastation. And he tells his people, there is still life in this thing. There is still life here. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from the root of Jesse will bear fruit. And that branch will grow so large and it will bear so much fruit that it will stand as a sign. It will be a signal to the whole weary world to come and find forgiveness and justice and healing and rest and peace forever. That is the promise. It is a promise to people at the end of their rope. It is a promise to the heartbroken and the confused. It is a promise to those who have been misled. It is a promise to the ones who mourn, to the ones who just want to catch a break for a minute and get some relief. It is a promise for anyone who feels the weight of living in a world that is not as it should be, which I would guess this morning is every last one of us. And to us, God says... He is coming. There is still life in this thing. So we talked a little bit last week about the particular history behind Isaiah's words here. Assyria was the dominant force at the time, and uh, they were pretty much carving their way through the known world, nation by nation, in an effort to really just grab everything in the world. And Ahaz was the king of Judah, and in the face of this really serious threat, it was written that his heart and the heart of his people shook like the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Which, you know, is nothing if not completely, totally understandable. It would be weird if he was not afraid. It would be weird if that wasn't the case. Of course, Ahaz is afraid, but the thing that matters, of course, is the thing that always matters— And that is, what is he going to do in that fear? 
What will he do next? And that's where uh, the prophet Isaiah comes in. In the face of this threat, God tells Isaiah to go. He says, go and speak to Ahaz and speak this really clear, really uncluttered word to him. It's in Isaiah 7. Isaiah goes to Ahaz and he says, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. Be careful and be quiet and don't be afraid and don't let your heart be faint. That's the way through this. That's how we're going to get through. Now we don't know the specifics, but this, of course, was at its very core a call to trust God. That's what Isaiah says. That's what God says through Isaiah to Ahaz. You need to trust me. Now we'll never know. What would have happened if he had trusted God? Because he did not trust God. And instead he raided the treasury like we saw last week. He sent a bribe to the Assyrian king. And to make a really long and really sad story short, that led first to the Assyrian oppression of Judah and eventually to the uh, invasion and downfall and devastation and destruction of Jerusalem. So I know that all of us in here probably face things that make us afraid. And I think it's worth uh, taking a couple seconds just now to think about what might make people like you and me feel uh, out of control. What What might make people like us feel like we're in chaos and afraid. You know, maybe it's something that's going on uh, in your marriage. Maybe it's something that's going on in your family, some trouble, some surprise. Maybe it's a medical thing, some word from the doctor, some looming test. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe uh, you're a student and this semester has felt like it's going to swallow you alive. Or maybe it's a relationship that's breaking bad. In one way or another, wherever we are, whenever you and I are in that kind of spot, we are faced with the same essential choice that Ahaz was faced with. It's not complicated. (laughs) Whenever you and I are facing something like that, we can scramble around. We can uh, pretend that we are the ones who are in control. We can act like we have to be the strong, wise potentates of our own time and space. We can issue angry, nervous, twitchy fiats. We can make dumb bargains and dumb promises that do more harm than good. We can mess ourselves up and mess the people around us up. Or we can trust God. That's the choice every time. And I'll tell you, church, trusting God almost always starts with being quiet and opening up our hands and admitting that we're not in control. And I'm telling you, church, there is great, great freedom in doing that. And then trusting God usually means doing the the simple stuff first, the stuff that he's already revealed to us in Scripture about how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to order our lives wisely and in love. 
And then most of the time, trusting God looks like getting real help, looks like getting wise advice from the people of faith who are all around you, who are also trying to live lives of faith and hope and love. So maybe, uh, maybe you're exhausted from trying to hold it all together. Maybe you're tired of scrambling to do something to fix whatever it is, all the dumb bargains and promises that you're making to make it go away. And maybe the idea of trusting God to have your good in mind through whatever it is, maybe that seems far off or it seems silly or it seems like it won't work or it seems like it's a little bit scary. And if that's you, I want you to just start thinking about the God who is asking you to trust him. Who is he really? And what is he like? We'll come back to that. And this, uh, this brings us back to the promise, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch that will grow from the root of Jesse and bear fruit. God says to his people, there is still life here. There's life in this thing. Jesse, if you don't know, was the name of uh, King David's father. It's like Isaiah is saying God's going to go to the very beginning. He's going to go almost to the beginning of this whole having a king project. Ahaz is just the latest failed king in a line that included lots and lots of failed kings. I know some of them were okay, but mostly it was a parade of craven men whose, whose primary frame of reference was themselves and their bottom lines of power and influence and wealth. That's mostly who it was. Like we saw last week, this nation was corrupt. It was corrupt from the top down. And what that meant was that if you fell on the wrong side of, of power, if you fell on the wrong side of the line of status or influence, you were in bad shape. The poor, the fatherless, the widow, the refugee. It was a miserable life for them. But <laughs> Adventus Rex. The king is coming. Out of what seems like the very end, a new king comes. And he won't be like any of the kings that God's people, or for that matter, any of the kings that anyone in the world has ever seen before. Verse 2 is a description of, of his fitness to be the king. The spirit of God is going to rest on him. And the spirit is going to bring this whole host of gifts. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge. And all of those gifts are summed up in this one telling little phrase. The fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, verse 3 says that this coming king's delight. That the thing that he delights and loves is the fear of the Lord. And that is, I think, the critical thing. And I know how strange that can sound. <laughs> I know that it sounds strange to imagine that anyone would delight in the fear of God. But understanding what it means to fear God is, uh, is pretty important in the life of faith. <laughs> I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're worried that God's out to get us. It doesn't mean uh, that we think he's around the corner ready to pounce on us. That's not what the fear of God means. The fear of God means that as best as we're able, we live every moment of our lives in reference to God. Every moment of our lives under his gaze, because we know it's there. 
our loves, our time, our choices, our work, our play, all of it, all of it is indexed to God. It's all done under his gracious gaze. It's all done in thankfulness. It's all done in joy. It's all done in hope. That's what every human being who has ever walked this earth has been made for. And that's what you and I have been made for. And when we walk like that, when we walk in the fear of God, I'm telling you, we feel freedom. And when we walk in the fear of God, we are able to love other people around us and seek their good. It's the truth, church. That's what it means to fear God, to live our whole lives in in reference to him. And I'll tell you the reason we don't do it. We don't do it because we fear other things. And we live our lives indexed to those fears. Some of us, you know, some of us fear that God is, is holding out on us. That's the most ancient of the fears. That's the oldest of the lies that runs around in the human head. That God doesn't really want my good. So it's all up to me. And I think I might be better at it too. And as soon as people like us believe that, as soon as people like us give in to that fear and start of acting out of that fear, then the unbearable weight of self-belonging falls on our shoulders. This weight that no one can hold up underneath. And church, it's the source of every bit of trouble we make for ourselves and every bit of trouble we make for others and that others make for us. That's why kings like Ahaz and Senators and congresspeople and presidents and prime ministers use their power and they use their influence for themselves and the people who can keep their influence and power because they fear the wrong things. And if you fear losing what you have, you will scramble like mad to keep it. But not this king. Never this king. He fears God, and that means that he can use everything that he has for people who have nothing. That's his delight. (laughs) With righteousness he shall judge the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The wicked are no longer going to be allowed to run around and run roughshod over everyone and everything. And the result of that is going to be peace. Isaiah gets lyrical in verses 6 through 9. He he starts to paint what this king's rule is going to look like with images that captivate the imagination. It's a world where wolves and and leopards and lions hang out peaceably with goats and calves and big old fat cows and This whole weird, unlikely, strange herd gets led around by a little kid. (laughs) It's a world where cows and bears graze together and, and the little cubs and the little calves curl up together for naps and lions eat straw like the ox in that new world. And little kids, they wander around and they, they explore and one of them's gonna play at the cobra's hole, and the other one's going to put his hand on the adder's den, and you know what? There's nothing to fear. The kids will be all right because those old snakes won't be interested in the old enmity anymore. That was the old Eden, the ruined Eden, before this new king came. 
This is the new world. And this whole place, this whole big wide place becomes known as God's holy mountain. And on that mountain, no one will hurt. And no one will destroy. And the knowledge of God will cover everything. Church, this is deep, radical, limitless transformation for you and for me and for the whole world. And it's true. It will happen. As St. Paul says, the creation itself will be set free. And not only the creation, but we ourselves will be set free. And we know who this king is. We know who he is. Isaiah, Ahaz, the people of Judah can only dream of his day, and it is a beautiful dream. It's a good dream. It is enough to know there is life and they will get through. But we heard his cousin tell us about him. After me is coming one who's mightier than than I am. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. He'll be great, the angel told his mom. He will be great. The angel told his mom before he was born, and of his great and gracious kingdom, there will be no end. It's all true, church. All of these great promises for the good of God's people and for the good of the world through this great king, all of those promises have begun to be kept at the advent of Jesus, and they will be fully kept at his second advent in glory. And this is where we go back, and I just say, this is the God who asks you to trust him. This is the one. This is the God who asks us to trust him right here and now, facing whatever it is that makes people like us feel afraid or out of control or fearful. This is the God who asks us to fear him and nothing and no one else. This is the God. This is the one who seeks out the places of pain and fear and chaos and destruction. The one who flies exactly to those places in our lives and in the life of the world and says, there is still life here. As bad as it looks, there is still life here. There is forgiveness of sins. There is mercy. There is new life. There is hope. He has come by grace. He has come driven by love. He will come again with healing and justice and peace forever. He is the crucified and the risen and the ascended one. And church, if he cannot be trusted, I don't know who could be. So trust him today and forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for an image of the future. We thank you that you have come to us and said there is life and there is hope and there is peace and that it awaits us. And we ask that you would help us to see that and to fear only you and to believe only you. Father, do this so that we can face all of those things that make us feel afraid or fearful or out of control. Help us to trust you in those things. Help us to grow up in our faith. Do this so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.